Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Scientology Fair Game. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Lily. Would you like to introduce our guest today? I would love to. Okay. Today, we're, we're joined by someone who I first met on the Apollo in 1973. Wow, Mike, when you're really dating yourself. I am really old, Leah. <laughs> I am really old. And you look damn it's good. Bad. And you I'm know what? Really no, no, no. Here's the, th- here's the thing. We're very blessed to be able to say that we're growing old because Together? not everybody gets to do that. No, no, in general, not everybody That's gets true. to grow old, right? So we. That's true. That is a blessing. And as my Sicilian grandmother used to say, Growing old ain't for pussies. <laughs> okay, so yeah, you two. Yeah, well, I so haven't heard two, that one. Now, so well, you two. different grandmothers. <laughs> <laughs> now, you two, right? She, she was from New York. <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn. Originally, originally Sicily, but I think. I don't, what the fuck do I know? Anyway. Yes, so you guys met on the Apollo, which you guys want to explain what that is, Brian? Well, well, wait, oh, we sorry, haven't even sorry, introduced go him go yet. On. Sorry, sorry. Jeez. Go ahead. Jeez, go ahead. Louise. Getting ahead Getting of myself. Carried away with grandma there. By the way, PMSing, everybody put that in your calendar. PMSing, put that oh dear. on Uh-oh. your calendar. I'll be, I'll be very careful today. <laughs> anyway, back way back in 1973, I met. This uh, our guest when he yes. was training under L. Ron Hubbard to become the senior case supervisor for St. Hill in England. Um, and we'll explain what all this is, Leah. Don't worry. We'll explain it. Thank and you. he left the Sea Org and then he began a, a pretty long career as a public Scientologist before leaving and then ultimately being declared a suppressive person and having his daughter disconnect from him. It's Mm -hmm. actually, his is a pretty amazing story and it spans many decades and we have a lot to talk about. So without any further ado, let's welcome Dr. Brian Sheen. Hi, Brian. Hey, Mike. Hi, Leah. Great to be here. Hello, Dr. Brian Sheen. Nice to be here, Leah. Thank you so much for the great work you and Mike are doing, and I appreciate to be part of that. It's funny to go back. Wow, that's a long time ago. Um, it is. Was that was that a past life experience? That could, would that qualify? <laughs> well, it it's very close. And if I put you on an e meter, it would read. Yeah. You and I didn't have gray hair back then, Mike. No, but nice, no. but nice gray hair you have. But thank God we still have our hair. That's a real nice thing. Exactly. You, you see, there are blessings. There are blessings. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so let's talk about this. So you worked under L. Ron Hubbard on the, uh, was this the first Sea Org ship, the Apollo? Yeah, well, I think there was a, a, a smaller ship prior to the Apollo, but then this was the main ship that then was put into service as the Sea Org began to expand and as it became really um, the landmark place for people around the world to come to, to do their advanced training and for Hubbard to do what he called his advanced research. Right. Now, what I, I know people are going to want to know this. What was L. Ron Hubbard like? What did you think of L. Ron Hubbard? Well, you know, a good portion of the time I was there, the first um, aspect of me being there, he wasn't even on the ship. 
Uh-huh. Uh, we were told he was off doing some type of advanced research on land. What it turned out to be was he was in a motorcycle accident <laughs> and um, he was damaged. I guess he broke his leg or some other things. And so they tried to hide that from everybody on the ship and especially trainees like me from England and from all around the world. And then when he finally came on the ship, I had the opportunity to meet him one night. And I've always had a problem with seeing these, always these huge big pictures of him in every classroom, in in every reception. And the type of worshiping sense that everybody gave to him It just made me sick. I didn't have much to interact with him except when doing uh, auditing. And then maybe he would work with Quentin with his son, which I worked a lot under, um, maybe making his comments of directing the internships that I was doing. And they were doing at that time something called expanded Dianetics, which was kind of something new. And I think eventually became the L's in the future. Um, Which uh, Which is an auditing process. Right. These advanced yeah. auditing processes yeah. of, of him um, basically trying to provide what he told us would be extraordinary spiritual powers and abilities yeah. that always seem to never quite do it and always needed more research and then more money and more processes and more rundowns and more right. breakthroughs. And it was this never ending well, we almost got it, but, and right. then this will bring it to you then. And, um, you know, but nevertheless, I, I was uh, a young kid at the time. I was 21 yeah. and uh, going, being on flag to be there with Hubbard and his son and, you know, to be the advanced case supervisor to supervise everything yeah. for England and, and Australia and New Zealand and South Africa uh, it was pretty exciting. Yeah. Adventure. Now, I want to ask you a question. How did a Brooklyn boy get into Scientology? Huh. Well, you know, one day I was walking out by Macy's yeah. in uh, Manhattan, and right near Manhattan uh, was the Martinique Hotel, which was where the New York org was. Mm-hmm. And a pretty young girl came up to me to <laughs> give me a survey. Okay. And in that survey, she found out that I was going through a major spiritual transformation. Um, I had some incredible experiences while doing LSD at a Pink (laughs) Floyd concert. And uh, I had this revelation. And the revelation after watching the concert from the ceiling was it wasn't the drugs. And uh, after having done drugs for many, many years, and you name it, I did it. Um, I realized that that there was another way and I started pursuing that other way. And I was going to uh, meditation classes. I was doing all sorts of different. So you were a searcher. You were, you were already a searcher, Brian, right? Absolutely. Yeah. What kind of family did you come from? Because I, I, you know, I don't know. So I'm, I'm hoping the answer isn't what people think because people often think, you know, we we come from broken homes or we're broken and so on. And, and I guess in truth, we are all broken in some way, right? So you, that's a, a constant. You could always say that something is 
somewhere you've received some kind of childhood trauma or you feel disenfranchised, right? So that's like a, that's a common thread. I think that anybody could accuse you of that you like that you'd fit into that whole, you know, into that category for people. Um, But what was your home life like? Were you raised Jewish, Catholic? Mm. A Jewish family that wasn't really very actively Jewish. My dad was a, a famous jazz musician Mm-hmm. and traveled the world and divorced my mother when I was young. And so I, my, you know, I had a broken home. My dad left when I was six, yeah. my mother remarried and um, I was not really interested. I became a hippie at 13, mm-hmm. but what was really my trauma at that time was Vietnam. And the, the Vietnam war was frightening because I was coming of age. Um, we got draft cards back then. And so all of a sudden you can get drafted and every day on television, they basically gave you the count and the amount of the number of dead bodies. And they showed that my friends were going over there. And my biggest trauma at the time was I was scared to hell that I would end up being one of these people. And, uh, I still wasn't dealing well with my mother's new husband, but he was a nice guy. I, I had no objections to it, yeah. um, but I was, you know, using a lot of drugs, smoking a lot of pot, doing a lot of LSD and mescaline and other things yeah. um, in order to deal with this absolute terror of, of Vietnam War and what was going on. And, and it wasn't just that. There was all sorts of civil unrest in the country, too. Um, there, We had just seen President Kennedy get assassinated, and, and then we saw... Uh, Martin Luther King, and there were civil unrest, and there were riots. So there was no stability emotionally, mentally, and definitely in the environment. And so I was definitely uh, a searcher looking for a way out and looking to see, is there something I can do to help change this? And I guess that was the hook that this recruiter she was also really cute. That helped. Of course. Yes. Yes. And and very intentional, by the way. But yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And and then when I kind of told her about my spiritual experience and that I was starting to really searching, she said, oh, you found the right place. Right. We have all the answers. Sure. Come with me. Take this personality test. And I will introduce you to someone and everything that you want. We can give it to you. And so yes. I, I went to the Martinique Hotel and did the OCA test, the Oxford Capacity Analysis. <laughs> so they can find my room right, and right. tell me that I was a teenager with lots of fear and emotions and stress and had no idea what to do for the future. But they had a wonderful idea of what I should do. Sure. And, right. and, and, yeah, and, and they, the pictures, the way they talked about Hubbard, I'll never forget you know, he was basically a combination of Sigmund Freud, uh, Albert Einstein, and probably uh, the, the great generals of the past uh, and, right. and Buddha. Yes. Yes. All rolled into one. Yes. 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 Agreed. So so that got you started. Listen, uh, th- that's how we all get started, right? It, it, with a promise of uh, of the answers. Uh, and because like, like you said, the time was very fitting for Scientology, for people who were looking for an alternative to 
you know, the religion that they that was forced down their their throats, right? Or people who were doing drugs that didn't, you know, wanted to find another way, right? Who were looking for the answers in life. And you were dealing with a lot of trauma. I mean, you were dealing with PTSD. You were dealing with, you know, it's very traumatic for children when their parents divorce, as amicable as it is, or as as easy a transition, it's still very traumatic for children to, to see their parents divorce. And, you know, I think we underplay that a lot because it's so normal, but it's traumatic. Um, so yeah, it makes sense why, why people get into Scientology, uh, not today, uh, you know, because there's so much more information available and, and we see how, how dangerous it turns out. But so I understand the hook. And so, you got hooked uh, and you were searching and you found something. And also, you know, because it's laid out, right, the way it is, and people love to, uh, you know, have a point A and a point B. Well, you do this course, right? And then you get a certain high from completing something, anything, right? And you have these check sheets and you put your initials on it, read that, did that. You know, you feel a sense of accomplishment and it's very much um, – uh, regulated and we also kind of like to be told what to do some of us right need that structure especially coming from the military um so it makes sense and it, it yeah. changes you know it gives like i said it gives you a high when you can complete an action right this is what you got to do brian you got to finish this by thursday okay you do it you get celebrated you get a certificate with your name written in calligraphy you know all of a sudden you feel very accomplished and very important and they're love bombing you. Yeah. 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 Well, and Mike, what are you laughing at, Mike? Uh, the certificate making you feel very important. I get it. You're right. Yeah, it does. I did. When I saw my name I in just, calligraphy, I was I like, just, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it just, that just struck me as funny. I never thought about that before. And it, 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 but it's true. That, yeah. that group um, validation yes. and recognition and acknowledgement is a very, very powerful force of nature. It yes. really is. And, yeah. you know, Scientology was like part of the counterculture back in the 70s. It, right. That was the time, the The 70s and the early 80s were the, were the time of greatest expansion for Scientology sure. in its entire history. Like, right. Back when, as Brian says, the Vietnam War was raging and yeah. there was upheaval and people were looking for something else other yeah. than what the establishment provided or sure. established religions or anybody or anything. And Scientology presented itself, as it still does, as something completely new, completely different. And... Yeah, it is new and it is different, uh, <laughs> but but back then that was something that that people really wanted, and uh, it it really resonates with me when I hear Brian talking like that. Uh, of all the people that I have met who came into Scientology in the '60s and '70s, in particular, who expressed this similar sort of, my God, the world was a mess. And yeah. we were looking for an answer, and Scientology told us they had the answer. They still do, but it's just not quite got the same cachet today when you can go Google everything for your answer. Sure. And back then, there was like this promise of the answer to everything in life was a, a, a very compelling tool to get people involved in Scientology.
and and also Mike uh, and Brian, like it, it also gave you a mission in life, a good mission, right? Like we're going to make people sane. We're going to give them the tools, let them see for themselves, right? A and, world without war. Oh uh, yeah, yes, without criminality, without you know, and where good men could live a free life. You know, it's like all these things that you know, and you feel like you are part of a special mis- mission to not only be a better you, but to help the planet be a better place. And so it, you feel very special. Yep. You know, and that's uh, that's intoxicating. Yep. To feel it special. Is. Everybody wants to feel special. I know I do. I always <laughs> want to feel special. I always want to be somebody's angel to get that, wow, Leah, you, you changed my life. You made me feel, you know, even in my own family, you know, I look to create those effects, right? Like to my friends, to my social media, you know, I agonize over my Monday quotes, you know, like I, you know, I hope to, to see on my page, you know, somebody said that helped me through my daily. That means the world to me. I'm not saying it means the world to everybody, but for people who really uh, are empaths, who really want to do something and, uh, um, that that sparks something in someone in a positive way, you know, it 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 is very it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so so you got you got hooked in, Brian, and you got off drugs, right? And so nobody could argue that, right? Because look at this positive change in my life and that's a good thing. And why would anybody be against that? And you you think you're helping people as we all did. None of us went into this thinking, oh, I'm gonna fuck this guy by lying to him or fuck this girl's life by lying. You know, we really believed what we were doing was good and decent. Absolutely. And so, yeah. And so from that, you decided to become a member of the C organization, right? Which is the paramilitary part of Scientology, which is the, the people who wear the uniforms and you give up your life and you, everything that you own and all your relationships with people in Scientology as well. <laughs> I don't want to give people the idea that if you join the Sea Org, that you're having a social life with your family who are Scientologists. You're not. You're still very much disconnected from any life you've ever known. But you joined the Sea Org thinking you were taking, you were you signed a billionaire contract that said you gave up, you're giving up this lifetime and many lifetimes to clear the planet, which means to get 80% of the world's population to reach a certain level in Scientology that would make them sane, right? Yeah, that's the ob- that's the objective of Scientology and the Sea Org is to yeah, make absolutely. is to convert eighty percent of the planet to be Scientologists. Yeah. Yep. And okay. and that, and that happened eventually over time. Of mm. you know, you go through the beginning courses and you go through the beginning levels. And um, I went to England to do the St. Hill Special Briefing Course, which is the really advanced training. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you know, I think it's like layer upon layer of mind control that happens and it kind of seeps in deeper and deeper, the more training you do, you know, one of the the interesting things about the training, I don't know that many people except Scientologists know this, is so much of it is done with recordings. And so you are literally sitting, listening to Hubbard on his recorded lectures and, and the briefing course, hundreds of hours. 
you are listening with full intention because you know you're going to go through some type of examination on it. So you've got to get every word. So the intensity of it. And so what you don't realize is, is, is by giving all that attention, not just to the reading, that's one aspect to it, but to the listening. It's, yeah. it's this very manipulative hypnosis. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. The Australians called it in the Anderson report, they called it authoritative hypnosis mm-hmm. and hypnosis. He comes as this unbelievable person with so much intelligence experience in everything. And the funny thing is he never talks about his personal life. Right. The only thing personal he talks about, you don't hear him talking about, Oh, my kids and my wife. And let me tell you these situations that I'm going through and these issues I went through, you know, of going through this divorce and never personal. It's always past track. It's always like spectacular on other planets in other galaxies where he has all of these unbelievable powers, creating universes, destroying planets, you know, being part of galactic federations. And it's like you're into this like amazing story. Right. And, and it kind of builds this sense of who he is. And you go, oh, my God. Who is this guy? He's unbelievable. And I'm a little nothing. And I've got to just give him all of my attention. He knows everything. Look at all these things he's done for trillions and trillions of years. And then with that in mind, I said, gee, how can I do anything but join the Sea Org and be involved to be that kind of special? Because you're right. I wanted to be special. And I want to do special things to help the planet because He also sees in, we've got five years for the planet to survive, and then it's going to blow up. We've got five. He put a timeline on it. And all of a sudden, if we don't get together, there ain't going to be no planet. So what are you going to say? You just stood by and watched and were a spectator? Or did you get involved and join with the only group on the planet who can save this planet? (laughs) And, And it's so compelling. Yes. And you're in such this state because, I mean, I was I was in class probably an average of 12 hours a day, 10 hours of them listening to his recorded lecture. I was and like looking one up, of these and looking up every students. every word you didn't understand, clearing right. the derivation, using it in sentences in sentences. And Steve Hassan has told us like this is the worst kind of brainwashing because it's self brainwashing right on top of this this uh, authoritative hypnosis that you're absolutely correct you're brainwashing yourself because you are looking up the words you don't understand because you know it's under duress by the way that you're studying because people are watching you if you yawn if you scratch your leg if you do anything they're pulling you into the other room what's the definition of the what's the definition of there what's the definition of formidable what's the definition of the uh at you know, like it's, it's, and if you can't define the 25 weight your know, definitions from the Webster's dictionary, you know, oh, there's a specialized definition you should have looked up. You got to start from the beginning of the tape. And sometimes you're, you, and by the way, you have to read along with the tape. You can't just sit there and daydream and think about, you know, your penis, you know, whatever. I, I don't know why I said that. Probably because I'm talking to men. <laughs> 
I'm sure you we often sit there. At that time, we didn't have the transcript. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay. No. Okay. Well, you were lucky. So you, you yeah, could daydream but, about your penis. But, but there was something else that I feel, <laughs> you know, and, and I actually, believe it or not, I yeah. enjoyed really studying the dictionary and learning the words. And, and, and for me, um, that was a great process. But what I didn't realize was happening is there was this dehumanization process turning me into a statistic. Yeah. And everything that I did at the end of every day, you had to add up the points. It wasn't so much the words you looked up or the what you listened to or what you read. Everything was given a point. Right. And so what it is, you had to put, get your points and right. you had to put it on a graph. Right. And then your existence mm-hmm. and your self-esteem was built upon your stat. Right. And and you were turned into either a downstat. Right. Or an upstat. Right. And 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 everybody can see it because it was on a wall. That's how we used to do it. And we actually had graphs that we filled in. That's and right. you could see the graphs. They were moving upwards or they were moving downwards. Mm-hmm. And you were treated based on your stats. And to and me, And you're right. And by the way, this is good. a this is a paying public person, by the way. Yes. Yes, we all had to keep statistics. You're right. And either you were considered upstat, which is your statistics are up, but used as a as a as a noun, as a thing, or you were downstat. And you would just look up another word or do another demonstration or just just to go, all right, uh, I'll give myself, you know, 16 extra points. But you're yeah, right. Well, what's what's crazy, yeah. what's really crazy about the statistic system is for yeah. individuals like uh, on s- these student points or someone that's writing letters, there yeah. is an absolute maximum that you can achieve right. where you can't go bigger than that. You're not yeah. getting employees underneath you to go earn student points for you. You, yeah. you can only do so much in an hour or so much in a day, and right. so you're going to be upstat, downstat, upstat, right. downstat, upstat, downstat. And it's like a, a crazy game of trying to always be upstat which is actually impossible right and by the way i want to bring up two points about what brian uh, just said about dehumanization um dehumanization uh you're right as a scientologist from the very moment you become a scientologist it's never about is mike rinder becoming a better person you know mm-hmm. is, is is brian Sheen becoming a better person. Is Leah Remini becoming a better person? It's how much money are you giving to Scientology? And what are you upstat or are you downstat in, in all areas? As a student, as somebody who's getting counseling from Scientology. But you could literally go out in the world and say, I just abused somebody, my kid, my mother. And that really doesn't matter. Like none of that actually matters. Like I'm being a piece of shit person in the world. It actually doesn't matter. And that and we see that in Hollywood every day. We see that with powerful people every day. You know, the guy's successful, the woman's successful. It doesn't really matter. But dehumanization uh, of yourself, right? That, that is what we all become, right? We don't matter. The group matters. The reason why L. Ron Hubbard doesn't talk about himself is because he was a shit father. He was a shit husband, as well are mostly all Scientologists because 
You're not asked to be a better parent. You're not asked to be a better wife. You're asked to be a better Scientologist. What does that mean? More time dedicated to Scientology or more money dedicated to Scientology. But also, Brian, let's talk about dehumanization. Everything we read in Scientology is about dehumanizing the outside world or anybody who isn't a Scientologist. And just so people know... Dehumanization is the process of depriving a person or a group of po- of positive human qualities. And everybody outside of Scientology, especially if you're a person speaking the truth about Scientology, is subhuman. Everybody and and do not and Scientology even says this in a policy. They do not have rights. That is what Scientologists believe. That if you are speaking out against Scientology and their practices, you are subhuman. And that includes the um, the FBI, police, the uh, any law enforcement agencies, uh, the AMA, the APA, uh, the list is long. And I've said this before, if the if government agencies got a hold of the hundreds of thousands of teachings of science, they, Scientology would put on would be literally put on a terrorist website. If you it saw the teachings of Scientology and what we learn day in and day out about the outside world, yeah. Anyway, and, go ahead. You know, Deborah. it's 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 interesting. In in Science of Survival, one of the early books, uh, he's very clear that how people below a certain emotion tone level that's yeah. not acceptable should be disposed of quietly and without sorrow. His quotes. Now let's talk about this band that Brian's talking about because Scientology loves to say we're open to this. We're, they're not. This is a band called covert hostility. Am I correct, Brian? You're talking about covert one, hostility, one? antagonism, okay. anger, yeah. fear, Depression, grief, apathy, all of that band of emotions makes you subhuman, sub having rights to exist. And you should be disposed of quietly and without sorrow. Yep. Now, what you're talking about, this dehumanization process, you probably remember a term. It's used all the time. In fact, you get condemned if you show human empathy. You okay. get condemned if you show compassion. Yep. And they go, stop giving me H-E-N-R. Right. No and H-E-N-R. That, that stands for human emotion and reaction, everybody. Right. And they, by so, the way, th- this is what they say to their children. When yes. their children are crying for them, when they are um, deserted by their Scientology parents, if their parents uh, put them into the C organization, if their parents are in the C organization and their children are crying for them, they say, knock off the H E and R. That is, uh, that's a basic in Scientology. Basic. Basic. And it's so frightening. And you see, that's what scares me the most because you see, during this process, and we'll jump ahead to this yeah. later, but right now, since I've been declared a suppressive person. It's been over six years now. I now have my first grandchild and I have a grandchild now, three and a half years old. I've never met him. Um, I haven't been able to speak to my daughter for over six years. 
But during that time, she gave birth to something our whole life. We talked about the joy of me eventually being a grandfather, her being a mother. And, you know, it was this joyous, wonderful thing for the family. My mother, her grandmother, we were all like, wow, you know, this was going to be great. And that's what scares me, because I know that he is from birth going through this process with both his parents. Yeah. And his grandparents on, on the other side, they're, they're VIP. They're not just Scientologists. They're VIP Scientologists, which means they donate millions and millions of dollars. And they've donated, from what I've read, over $17 million to the cause of maintaining Scientology, the illusion of all of that it creates with ideal orgs and with all of the front groups that it has. Right. And I, I, I tremble I know. at the thought of my grandson yeah. not being able to allow his emotions to come up because I've seen so many of these kids going through suicides, yeah. going through deep depressions mm. because they've never been allowed to embrace these emotions. I know you yourself yeah. got involved in Scientology you were you were kind of young. What were you, eleven or twelve years old? Yeah, yeah, right. younger. And yeah. so, I mean, here's this this. I mean, I was already seventeen and eighteen, so yeah. I went through some of that stages. But you, right at the moment when your hormones are going and you're going through puberty, and now you watch your parents going off. Oh, I can't imagine what that's like. Yeah. And now I try and look at it. What's that like to have that from birth forward? Right. Right. Wow. Yeah, right. Listen, Brian, the good news is that they're growing up in a different time where where it's inevitable that they're going to come across the truth about Scientology. Um and and that that's, that's what keeps hope alive for this other generation, right? Is that there's information available to them that wasn't available to me, wasn't available to Mike, right? And they can get it sooner rather than later because, you know, as you grow up in Scientology, it is available to you. It's just that you're brainwashed to believe that you shouldn't look at it. I can only hope. And and you're penalized and punished if you do. do. Because then they're going to take you into the ethics office. Then they're going to make you pay thousands of dollars for different types of set checking, security checking to find this, this out. And this is why I wrote my book, Relentless, Rescuing My Daughter from Scientology. It was actually a message to my grandson, hoping that he would one day go online and maybe scanning through Amazon or maybe just doing a Google search, maybe just wanting to find out about his grandfather and then finding, oh, wait a minute, there's this book that's dedicated to me. Yes. Wow. I'm hoping that one day in the future, I hope I'm alive when it happens, Yeah, that he does, as you say, use the technology we have today that didn't exist for me, for you, or for yeah. Mike yeah. to be able to say, you know, gee, let me look. Right. Because right. if he just goes to look at, you know, who is my grandfather? Right. 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 I know. Let, 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 let's get back to this before we get to the rest of your story. How long were you in the Sea Org? I was in the Sea Org for two years. 
Okay. And then you left, but you still remained in Scientology. Yeah. I, when I was, when I was on the Apollo, um, I saw the beginning of the rehabilitation project for the RPF. You want to explain to people what that is? You and Mike, 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 is is that, is that where you guys met on the RPF? No. No. I never went on no, the no. RPF. <laughs> Mike, that, you can probably say why people end up on the RPF better it, than I can. It it was a a re-education forced labor camp that Hubbard, you know, launched in uh, early 1975, I guess, somewhere around there. That okay. was. For people that he considered to be, as Brian said earlier, downstat, but very downstat, like right. bad people, suppressive people, rotten people who had made their way into the C organization and needed to be reformed. So it's a prison. It was, it's a prison camp for C org members. Right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Okay, and it's supposed to. Okay, so go ahead. You saw this. And when I saw that. It freaked me out to, to see people treated like that. They were literally uh, taking food off the floor. They weren't allowed to sleep in their beds. They, they were just treated like criminals, like prisoners. Right. Yeah. And I was traumatized. Yeah. And I found a way to get off of the ship. I, I, I had this kind, of, this kind of cognitive dissonance where I saw the organization with all of these problems but I still felt that Scientology had the answers. So when I went to Boston, and when I went to Boston, um, I was now uh, a class nine auditor. Uh, I had interned to my class eight, and well, let me just for let me just explain what this is to people at home. Sure. It's just very a high class, you know, in Scientology, uh, yes. a very high class, um, you know, Scientology counselor uh, who's who's only. Uh, you're only educated in Scientology. You have no, Completely. you have no credentials in the field of mental health and counseling people. You, you, you only are trained in Scientology technology, right? Yeah. Okay. You're basically, you're basically a mouthpiece, an agent for the hypnosis processes of L. Ron right. Hubbard. Right. The, the stringency in which you are trained, you are really. There is no thinking allowed. There is no evaluation allowed. It's you are to follow these processes exactly. step by step. There is no way to put any, no emotion permitted, no yeah. compassion allowed. And you sit there with the e-meter and it's up to this, this electronic meter that basically says whether or not the person has achieved the final result or not. If right. it doesn't, the person can be jumping for joy and happy as can be. But if their needle isn't floating on the e-meter doing this first thing, you just continue on because there must be more because right. that's how you're trained. And so there is no type of training in psychology or philosophy or any of the needed sciences that in order to be a therapist, it's just you are an automaton, a robot yes. for Hubbard to yes. deliver his hypnotic processes to imprison other people just like he imprisoned. Yes. And being out of the Sea Org yep. and having this high training made me very valuable. So 
in for other missions, mm -hmm. smaller organizations. And so I ended up at an organization in Boston, mm -hmm. the Executive Education Center, mm -hmm. which catered to the executives at Raytheon, at Control Data. And um, the heads of it were really uh, just a bunch of really nice guys that were into Scientology. Mm -hmm. And they were really good executives in the field. And they wanted to, they literally wanted to help people. They thought mm -hmm. Scientology was good. Mm -hmm. They thought they really lucked out to get someone like myself who was so highly trained. And mm -hmm. so I went there and uh, began involvement, mm -hmm. uh, staying with Scientology, but no longer in the Sea Org. Right. Then eventually I went down to Florida and started a Dianetic Counseling Group, which is a small organization delivering Scientology services while being a management consultant using another side of Scientology, which is the executive education side. And, mm -hmm. and they have a whole side of management technology of Hubbard's. It's mm -hmm. all of Hubbard's. Mm -hmm. Basically, again, I didn't realize it at the time. It was all part of this dehumanization process to deal mm -hmm. with and make people into a statistic. Mm -hmm. And your statistics determine the quality of who you were, how you were treated, and, and basically your whole esteem was was built on that. And and I'll tell you, when I think about long-term the effects on my life, that was the most difficult for me to be able to take that burden off of me and say, wait a minute, I'm not a stat. It's about my being, my well-being, my happiness, my joy, my empathy, my love. And even though many of these things are talked about by Hubbard, love everybody and yes, be truthful and express. And, and they say all that. They don't okay. practice any of it. I don't know what the fuck you're reading, Brian. I have <laughs> never seen anything Hubbard says, love everybody. Seems <laughs> well, like yeah. my philosophy. Oh, okay. stop. Stop. These are not things that like, there's, there's like a pepper of humanity throughout the hundreds of thousands of teachings there's a oh, yeah. pepper of like when he was in a in a in a good mood or felt he had to write something for pr reasons right yeah that, no this is yeah. completely the pr and this yeah. is if you go to their website this is the picture they want you sure. to think of them yes. it's all bullshit yes complete bullshit yeah but but nevertheless but you, know, you savored, but you savored those, right? Because it was like I, yeah, maybe there's something decent here. <laughs> Please be something I mean, decent here. <laughs> that's that's the hope yeah. that I had. Yeah. Because yeah. even when I joined, I mean, I wanted to help people. Yes. I, I wanted to get closer. I didn't realize very quickly, very quickly, I ended all of my friendships. I disconnected from all the groups I was involved with, sure. and all of a sudden. Hey man, I got to get my stats up. Hey, yeah. they're depending on me. I sure. got to clear the planet. I yeah. mean, yeah, mom, I'd love to sit there and spend Mother's Day with you. And yeah, Christmas would be nice. But mom, you know, the org is in this lower condition, <laughs> and we're in emergency, and it's danger. And you yes. know, and, and if we don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. And then right. the planet's going to fall apart. It's going to blow up, and right. it will be my fault. And right. holy shit, I don't want to take on that kind of guilt. Yes. Yes. No perfect Mike? description. Oh my God, Brian. It's, 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 it's actually triggering because it is the same mindset. It's like, 
you know, when you think about who you were then, it's like you're talking about like, you know, you'd go to like the organization and say, look, it's, you know, it's my mom's birthday. And they're like, are you a fucking dilettante? Like they use that word a lot. There's not going to be a fucking planet to celebrate Mother's Day or fucking birthday. Get your shit together, Leah. What the fuck are you talking about? Even a funeral, right, Mike? A fu- if you had the audacity, what would be told to you by your superiors? And this is even as a parishioner, you're told horrible things. You know, they're fucking dead. What do you give a shit? Like, what the fuck is that right. you being there going to do? Get the fuck. And it's, you're treated like that from childhood. Talk to like that. by ch- It's... Anyway, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. It, 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 you're so correct. It's And it's so scary. And looking back on that, and again, yeah. so scary, because through this, as I come later on, and when I saw my daughter to try and bring some sense to her, yeah. I saw that zombie look. And you saw her see you. And you were like, oh, my God, she sees me as I saw others, an yeah. SP, an enemy. And it's like you almost feel sad for them like oh my god no you see me this way oh i'm that person to you now it's so sad when you see their faces especially your own right especially when you know that you have some responsibility created it for that and and you know even though i left 40 years ago and Mm -hmm. and went on with my life my ex-wife um you know after my different run-ins with the organization, I finally decided enough. And I said, no more. I walked away. They lied to me. They took my money and said I was going to finally get, you know, the the, the hook that kept me there, that keeps a lot of people there, is my ultimate goal to be exterior with full perception and being able to travel around the universe and be able to manifest anything, anywhere, at any time. Right. And it was on the gradation chart. It used to be. Right. And they showed it to me. There it was. Wow. It, I love how you explained it earlier of, of being able to see the step by step and filling the yes. steps. And I remember that. Oh, look, I'm getting closer to that and closer to that. And eventually right. I'm going to reach that level. And look what it says. I'm going to have abilities. It says abilities gain. Right. <gasps> Right, right. I was hook, line, and sinker. I want those abilities gained. And man, never happened. Yeah. And when they finally told me a second time, now do the L's, the other kind of advanced auditing, it's going to happen. And then they said, no, no, no. First, you got to do this, this, and this. Just give us a whole bunch more money first. I said, no, you promised me this. Right. And that to me, I said, sayonara. And how long was that? So how long were you in Scientology? Because you were in the Sea York two years, but how long in Scientology? I was actively in Scientology for a total of five years. And then I went back briefly for probably six months until I realized that, again, nothing had changed. And I didn't know anything what was going on. There was no internet still. I had never read any of the books I, I wish I had. I know we were definitely kept away from any of those books out there, but I just made a conscious decision. They cannot deliver what they promised. Right. I had never seen anybody have these abilities. And if 
they could not get their shit together in their organization, then something has to be terribly wrong here. And I said, you know what? I put it in my rear view mirror yeah. and I walked away and said, sayonara. What year was and that, I said, Ryan? What's that? That what was, 19, year was that? 1981. Okay. Yeah. And I, and, and I looked at it and, and this is just the way I deal with things. And I said, yeah. what did I gain from this? I wasn't, I wasn't about to sit there and look at all the shit. Yeah. And I said, I gained inspiration because the one thing I appreciated is Hubbard would always talk about where he said he got, he studied the Vedas and the Upanishads and he studied Freud. And, and even though he gives them no credit, yeah. I said, you know what? I'm going to go do that. And I made it. My mission was to now look at these real source materials. I said, he's not the source. Right. I wanted to look at these source materials. And I then dedicated my life to then studying and learning all that basically Scientology prostituted. Right. And, and Dianetics and Scientology is nothing but a prostitution of some of the great works by some of the great minds, you know, when, and whether it's Carl Jung or whether it's psychosomatic psychology or whether it's yoga and, 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 and all the different aspects of, of meditation and Patan. I mean, what he did is, is he took whatever he could use in order to control and manipulate, put his stamp on it and said, look at my genius. And I went to study the source materials and I dedicated the next portion of my life. And literally, it's been now 40 years of studying. I went back to school to get my PhD. So that in what? In, in, in psychoneuroimmunology. Oh, just that? Psychoneuroimmunology is how the mind interacts with the body. It's about epigenetics. Okay. And epigenetics is looking at the messages that our cells receive so that the expression of the genes will be according to whatever message it's receiving. For example, if it's kind of like, I'm sure you're familiar with the stress response, fight or flight yeah. response. Yeah. So when you feel stressed, when you feel that there's a threat inside of you, a message goes into your system and your body all of a sudden starts producing more adrenaline, more cortisol, yeah. higher, uh, faster respiration rates, higher rates of the beating of your heart. There is a biological connection just with the perception sure. of fear, of mm -hmm. threat. And then if you feel safe, if you feel connected, if you feel loved, it sends a different message. And this is really what epigenetics is all about, is understanding the environmental impact that happens on our cells at a, at a level of your brain, at the level of your neurology. And there was this great work. And I guess one of my heroes in all of this was uh, Dr. Candace Pert. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Candace Pert was part of the Nobel Prize winning team that described something called neurotransmitters. Yeah. And she understood and she discovered the opiate transmitter, neurotransmitter, as part of this group. Um, at the National Institute of Health in Washington. And as I read that, I said, ah, that's what I want to know. Yeah. 
And, and that's what I started studying and learning and going to school and training with different masters around the world in every field of neuroscience, in yoga, meditation, in uh, different things like things you might not have ever heard of as bioenergetics, neurolinguistic programming, all the different fields of alternative medicine that were scientifically based. Right. <laughs> that that was, was out there in the world. Uh, there were no aliens that you had to sit there and, and have conversations with to get rid of off of your life. Right, there was right. no one giving you statistics. And it was all about finding your wholeness to find the core of your being. And that's pretty much what I've done. I left Scientology behind. I didn't read anything of it. I didn't care about it. Um, that my daughter was involved a little bit with the mother. She was never really too much into it, even though, because they didn't have the money. Right. I was really pleased in some way. I know this sounds weird. No. I, my ex-wife never had much money. Right. And she got, she got by. Yeah. And my daughter never had much money, which means that they couldn't squeeze it. Together to get, right, to do it. Yeah. And to go up to upper levels. Right. Yeah. You know? But how did they say so, it, it so wasn't let too- me- Brian, let me just jump forward here a bit. Please. Yeah. You so you spent and have spent 40 years studying all this other stuff. Your your ex-wife and daughter are continuing in whatever fashion in Scientology, not particularly involved, not not like the the crazies giving millions of dollars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then sudden you don't do or say anything about Scientology and then suddenly out of the blue you get a FedEx package that says you're declared SP? Yes. Why I, is that? I completely, um, I knew, even though I had my opinions on Scientology, I knew it didn't, it wasn't worth trying to bring it up. I had no idea of the fraud of Hubbard yet. All of a sudden, on April 6th, 2015, I received this FedEx letter declaring me a suppressive person. It doesn't say why. Um, it, there's no kind of step-by-step step of the suppressive acts I've done. It just says, okay, if you want to ever see or talk to your daughter again, uh, you must now do the steps, what they call A to E. And these are basically steps that ask for me to rejoin the church, make amends for everything I do, redo all the training. I stayed away from even talking about Scientology. Now, understand, I had a center for complementary and alternative medicine. I was one of the first to be able to offer diplomas in complementary and alternative medicine that the state of Florida actually authorized. Right. Um, and I had been involved with helping people utilize all the things that I have been studying with all these teachers over the years. Right. I never brought up the word Scientology in 30 years. People right. never even knew that I was ever involved in it. I, I hadn't talked about it. I haven't uh, said anything negative to my daughter. I said, you know, it's your life. Do what you want to do. Um, I hadn't known yet what a fraud he was. And so that's why it was so surprising to me. So up until and, this point, you were connected to your daughter. You just weren't saying anything negative about Scientology. Right. And out of the blue, you get this 2015, you're an enemy to us letter. Right. And, and here's why I think it happened. Yeah. A few months before the letter, I was in California, in San Francisco, and my daughter had gotten 
married. And she had married into the uh, Atkinson Baker family. Um, And this was a VIP family that had donated. I didn't know it at the time. Oh, the 17 million. Yeah. $17 million. Okay. Sheila Atkinson Baker runs a court reporting service. She is a big court reporter and has done a shitload of work for Scientology. (laughs) I see. Yes. Okay. So, and he works with Wise, and he works with their 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 management. And Wise, and, and Wise is another front group. Everybody for Scientology. Group, yeah. uh-huh. Okay. So I think what happened was, is all of a sudden, my daughter now had the financial connections and able to go up to the upper levels, and I have a sense that they started then relooking at my involvement from forty years earlier, right? And how I left the church. Of and how I all of a sudden just abandoned them. And they started coming up with things. And and this only was shared to me by my ex-wife when she had a, a look at some of the things that they charged me with. Okay. One of the things they charged me with, Leah, is that 40 years earlier, almost 40 years earlier, my ex-wife, who we had shared custody with, uh-huh. came to Florida, took my daughter out of school, kidnapped her, uh-huh. took her back to California on a train without telling me. And I thought my daughter had been kidnapped. So I went to the police. On my charges was me going to the police and reporting the kidnapping of my daughter. I had no idea who it was. Because they everybody, said, because everybody, that is a suppressive act in Scientology is to go to the police or to file a police report. Go ahead. Right. Uh-huh. And even though I wasn't a Scientologist anymore. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I was I was a suppressive act. It's kind that of like what's going That you on. cared that your daughter might have been freaking kidnapped. Right. Yeah. Right. The bottom line was, is um, my daughter, she was very clear. You know, she said, Dad, I can't talk to you anymore, but I think this is all a mistake. My mother and I are going to do our best in order to deal with this and resolve it. I said, please go ahead. Right. Well, nothing happened. And and nobody would speak to me. I would write letters to the international justice chief is who they say that you see, once you get declared a suppressive person, there's only one person you're, you're allowed to, to talk. Mike Ellis. Yes, Mike Ellis. So I'm writing Mike Ellis. I'm emailing Mike Ellis. I am sitting there calling Mike Ellis. No calls, no calls. Yeah. Months go by and I say, I had enough. Okay. Nothing was changing. And I said, I must have other rights. And I started investigating and looking at what are my rights as a citizen of Florida. And I found something called the Florida Human Rights Commission. And they, as part of the scope of what they do, their law states, statute-wise, is to eliminate discrimination, antagonism between religious groups and its members. And I said, well, to preserve the safety and general welfare of the rights and privileges of individuals. I go, wow, my rights as a father, my family rights are being destroyed here. There's this discrimination and antagonism about these religious groups and a former member. Please, please help me, help me. Can you sit there and do something about it? And at the same time, I also uh, published that And the newspaper picked it up for an article and a local TV station picked it up and did a report on it. 
And before you know it, I was getting a little traction of my complaint to the Florida Human Rights Commission. Um, that went on for over two years. And eventually they said, sorry, helping you is beyond our scope. And I said, what do isn't you mean that, beyond your scope? Mike, isn't that always the answer when it's yes. uh, when it comes to Scientology? <laughs> like, you know, I see these commercials like it's not too late for you if you were raped, molested by clergy, blah, blah. You call, they're like, oh, uh, uh, no, we can't. If it's not the Catholic Church, we can't fuck with it. Is Scientology? No. Can't take yep. you as a client. Yep. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's always the way. Yes. Yep. It was unbelievable. But then I didn't stop. Right. I then started writing to the attorney general in the state of Florida, which is, it's, you know, again, it's so clear in the statutes. Yes. It's, that that any interference by threats or intimidation against the enjoyment of my rights against domestic strife and unrest. How clear can you be? Right. This is what was happening to my wonderful, loving family. Yeah. And remember, I don't just have my daughter involved with this. You have your grandchild, your first grandchild. My grandchild, which yeah. which hadn't come yet. But yeah. I have two other sons yeah. from other marriages have nothing to do with Scientology. Yeah. But this was like a nuclear bomb in my family because I worked so hard Leah, for for 30 years to keep my family together. And I would right. take all my three kids. They each have a different mother. But yeah. we were one family. We never used a word such as stepbrother or stepsister. No, we were brothers and sisters. Right. We were together. We traveled around the world. I took them on trips to Australia and to Africa and to Russia and everywhere together as a family. family right. And it was a nuclear bomb. And my two sons, who, again, we never, ever talked about Scientology. They didn't right. even know about my old involvement in Scientology. They go, Dad, what did you do? Dad, you need to correct this. I said, wait a minute. I'm not going to correct this. They want me to control me. They want me to rejoin their church and pay them all this money and basically bow down to them and be right. their slave. I said, never going to happen. Right. And the post-traumatic stress that happened between my sons and myself lasted for two years. It was horrible. The whole because, family. because they thought you were doing something like you could do something and you weren't right. because now their sister wasn't talking to them either. Yes. The right. sister wasn't talking to them. Yeah. Uh, they, they could talk to them because they, they weren't declared suppressed person, but they but were talking to was, you. Yeah. I was the center. I yeah. would fly my daughter in from California. We would all be together. We would spend Thanksgiving or Christmas. We would spend yeah. summer holidays and do traveling together. But now that was gone. Right. And so all of that, the, the whole center yeah. of my family life was destroyed. And my kids, my boys, they were angry. They were yeah. upset. They didn't know what to do. And I then they saw me doing all of my actions to get involved with, you know, with the Florida Commission of Human Rights, with the sure. general, with the attorney general. And uh, before you knew it, a production company out of California called Siren saw the television interview with me and they asked me if I would be part 
of a series that they wanted to do for A&E on Disconnection. And they said, we want you to be the opening show. Within weeks, I had uh, Jamie DeWolf, which is the great, great grandson of L. Ron Hubbard as the host with uh, Sam Bauer, who helped bring down the, the, the prophet, the pedophile Warren uh, Jeffs. Uh-huh. Um, we were interviewing a three camera shoot and wow, I said, I'm going to sit there and bring this out there. I'm going to get some traction, maybe find some attorney because all the attorneys, they were turning me down. We right. can't go against them. They have so much money. We have existing cases against them. It takes years and years and years and years. Um, I couldn't find any lawyer to help me. Right. So I was hoping, I was hoping the show, that you're, this, you're hoping the show would help. I was hoping the show would give me a platform um, in order to to then reach out in the community and make something happen and find some politician, find some lawyer. Um, But unfortunately, um, that all fell apart, too. But I just I didn't stop. I mean, but what did you but Brian, what did you do in the show? They wanted you to confront your daughter or you just told your story. No, they, they wanted me to confront my daughter. Mm-hmm. They, um, after doing a week of shooting at my house with three camera shoot with, yeah. with Jamie and Sam, uh, they flew me out to California and, um, I was working out there in order to set up, to actually go to my daughter's house Yeah, and, 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 and knock on the door and say, hello, I'm here. Let's talk. Yeah. And they brought in, um, a wonderful expert on, on, taking people out of cults, uh, Joe, Joe Sizemark, mm-hmm. a wonderful guy who that was his job is helping people, uh, parents be able to get people out of cults. I went through training with him. We spent another week of preparing. And just when we were ready to go to the house, they had private investigators checking on everything. They said, oh, they left. They're no longer at home. They went away for the weekend. And I said, what? Sorry, we can't do the rest of the shoot. Wow. I couldn't believe this, right. but it was what it was. But I reached out then to my ex-wife because I realized they left the dog at home and somebody had to walk the dog. And that usually was my daughter's mother. My daughter's okay. mother also still in Scientology. Okay. So I called her Yeah. out of the blue. She knew I was declared, but she talked to me. What did she say? Because she said, this is terrible what's happening. Okay. I want to help you to do this. Okay. I'm going to talk to these people. I'm going to talk to the Office of Special Affairs. I'm going to talk to the Mastodons. These are the people who handle literally the what they call ethics. Right. And ethics. Ethics in Scientology means whatever the greatest good for Scientology. Correct. Nothing for you. And basically, I at that time put up a website, ScientologyHostage.com. They said you. Take down your website and we will sit there and we will help you get a fair hearing so you can present the information of being able to show that you have not been a suppressive person to your daughter all of these years. Yeah. It was a ploy. Okay. Mike Ellis, I think, was laughing. I know an illustration I put in my book, in my Relentless book, is him laughing with the thought bubble of, boy, what a sucker he was to think that we would actually listen to him so and you give took, him a hearing. So what happened? You took down the website? I took down the website. I waited for a few weeks for them to do what they said they were going to do. 
They did nothing. So you didn't get a hearing? I didn't get a hearing. Uh-huh. And so I convinced uh, the production company. I said, let's go do this again. Yeah. Fly me back out to California. But I'm going to hire my own private investigator. Right. Okay. Because I felt that Siren had been infiltrated by somebody that was sitting there intentionally creating destruction of this program. Mm. And I said, I'm going to do that myself. So I hired my own private investigator to check on my daughter. I set everything up and then I brought the camera crew with me at a safe distance. They, they couldn't come right there to, to film her without her permission. Yeah. And I went and knocked on the door. And for the first time in about a year by that time, I met with my daughter and we talked. Well, I don't know that I really met with her. I met with the a version zombie of version of her. Right. She was like trained and it was, you pulled this in. You know what you did. You need to sit there and do A to E. It was like, there was no compassion, Person. no love. And my daughter and I, we had a wonderful, beautiful relationship our whole life. Right. Well, Always it was, it loving, was con- caring. Yes, but conditional. And, and now it was like, wow. And it was like, you need to go. I mean, it was like complete attack. The reason everything happened. I love that word. You pulled it in. This was my responsibility. I did something wrong to deserve this. And you've got to take responsibility from it. And then literally she left. She went inside and basically said goodbye. I was shattered. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, didn't accomplish my mission in order to be able to at least, I just wanted to establish a communication with her. To I didn't expect that she's going to get and walk out. But what I found out was, is they figured out the hook to keep her involved. She was now 38 years old. And all she wanted was to have a child. Right. And she had a husband now who wanted to have a child and was actively pursuing and she said, I can't go through this marriage. If I go with you, dad, I'm not going to have this child. They're going to break up my marriage. Right. And so they had this pressure on her. They used this desire to have a child against me, against us. Yeah. And sure enough, that's what happened. Wow. Um, we continued taping. Um, we even eventually took all the different people from what would be 10 segments. And we went to Clearwater to flag and we did a protest and we actually walked around the Fort Harrison hotel and Mm -hmm. we, we marched and we did this whole thing of, yeah, you know, (laughs) trying to bring justice to these family members. Yeah. Um, But in the end, something was wrong. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it never went on the air. They gave us all sorts of crazy excuses. Your fantastic show came on the air. So take us now to to current day. So you have no connection with your daughter because of Scientology. You've you've worked very hard to maintain a relationship with her, and and now you know your only grandson. And what about your sons? Has, has that resolved itself? That's you. Yeah. Okay. My good. my sons and I have uh, have got back together. 
Good. Uh, the trauma has kind of, you know, Subsided. fell apart. Yes, yeah. And 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 now we we've restored it. Um, um, at a lot of work, and uh, they don't really. Uh, my one son, my youngest son, Jazz. Um, he, uh, I don't think he's talked to her in six years. Uh, they have no communication. My older son, Ariel, uh, he occasionally, maybe once a year has a conversation with her. Um, and, uh, but there's, there's, there's no, no connection. Right. Yeah. Right. There's, um, uh, there's such a sense of the pain and the suffering doesn't go away. It doesn't because it's, it's so, it's such a destruction on so many levels of family. I mean, it, it, it's not enough. Uh, we've talked about this many times, Mike, it's not enough that, you know, we gave you our lives every day, two and a half hours a day, minimum where it comes to parishioners. Uh, sometimes I was like you, I was on, I was in Scientology for 12 hours a day, trying to learn to help myself, to help others, Mike and you and other Sea Org members dedicated their lives. That wasn't enough. We're going to take away your family. Now, every job that you have, we're going to try to destroy your reputation. We're going to destroy all of your, it's fair game. Uh, Scientology never ends. It's, it's, it's a gift that keeps on giving. And we continue to reach out for two people for help. Uh, for example, uh, I know you mentioned Brian, who you've reached out to, they have not helped you. You've you filed complaints with the Florida Commission on Human Rights. Uh, you went to uh, the Florida your Florida legislators and congressmen asking for help. Uh, you've written to the governor, the attorney general. You've reached out to the Department of Justice, the FBI, the ACLU, the attorney general for the United States and California. And this has gone nowhere. And you know, people ask us all the time, "What have you done?" Uh, this is what people do. Uh, we have people who talk to us every day um, on Twitter, on, on Mike's blog, uh, asking us, can you help my sons in Scientology, my daughters in Scientology, you know, and, and there's really not a whole lot that we can do, unfortunately, but tell you to continue to fight, even though it uh, uh, seems endless and, and fruitless, uh, yeah. just to simply see your sons and daughters and grandchildren and we only hope that that one day she'll wake up and and see what's missing in her life. Um, yeah. And Scientology is not going to fulfill that. I find comfort in one thing throughout all of this. First of all, to know the truth about L. Ron Hubbard, that he was a fraud, that he was yes. a liar, that he was a megalomaniac and and his intentions were truly evil to control. Sure. And I've created a number of whiteboard videos that I've put out that's on YouTube describing all of my experiences. And my comfort comes is, is I feel really good of how many people over the years now they know I'm in Scientology. Yeah. They come to me and they said, you know, I was I saw this great ad on TV and I was thinking of looking into it and doing a course and doing this and doing yeah. that. Brian, what do you think? Right. And what I take comfort in is I have helped hundreds yes. of people avoid Scientology, right. get out of Scientology, be warned about Scientology. And maybe I can't save my daughter and my grandson, but I can save children for other families. 
I can save other people from making the same mistake, from buying in to all the damn lies and bullshit that they that they put out there and they do it so well. I mean, with their Super Bowl ads and their websites. I mean, it's really classy, well done stuff. I mean, it sucks you well, in and makes you think that they're so amazing. I could make they, great commercials too if I had billions of dollars in tax exempt money. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so the best thing that I can do <laughs> is to feel some comfort that somebody else won't go through this dehumanization process. Yes. Somebody and- else will will be able to save their family and whisper in their ear and say, you know, before you get involved, talk to Brian. Okay. And I keep myself out there and I've put it on my Facebook now for the last six years. And um, I've created uh, the Scientology hostage website. And then my book that just came out uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Relentless Rescuing Your Daughter from Rescuing My Daughter from Scientology um, is out there. And basically, if somebody reads it, if somebody watches the video, if somebody goes to my website and reads my blog, they're going to see and learn what not to do. And, and I tell them, I said, listen, if you, this is what you want to do after you have all these facts, that's up to you. Right. I'm not going to get in your way. Right. But know the facts. Know the moment you walk in, you have to sign these releases and waivers that give up all of your rights. Right. Know from get-go that anything you've read about Anything you've heard about in his lectures of the promises he makes of what they can do for you is all bullshit. And then there is no recourse whatsoever. And know that you are going to be turned into a stat and they're going to pound on you, pound on you to donate money, whether it's for an ideal org or whether it's to do this particular front group, whatever it is, just understand that is what you're signing up for. And I said, and if you still want to do that, after reading that, after reading the history of man, of what this guy did on his drug trips, of thinking that he figured out the last 60 trillion years, if you read all that and you want to do it, well, you know what? Mazel tov. <laughs> well, listen, Brian, I want to say thank you for your resilience because you have found a reason and a purpose for your pain. Yep. So important to do uh, when coming out of something uh, as traumatic and, and dealing with something as traumatic as losing, uh, you know, your relationship with your daughter and your grandson. And so thank you for doing that. Uh, and again, Brian just wrote a book, uh, Relentless, Rescuing My Daughter from Scientology. Um, and you can get that uh, on Amazon. And also, Mike, you're going to post these links uh, yes, on I'll, your blog. I'll have his whiteboard videos, the Great. book, everyth- everything that we've mentioned, I'll put on my blog mikerindersblog.org and on the fairgamepodcast.com website. Brian, thank Thank you you. so much for the work that you do and thank you for your time and thank you to all of you for listening. Until next time.